If you want to listen to this episode or any of our episodes ad-free, you can do that now. Head on over to Patreon. Click on the ad-free level. You get all of our bonus shows that you've been hearing so much about. Plus, every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you can listen to this episode or any of our other episodes at the same time, ad-free, over on Patreon. this year before the passing of Suzanne Summers we sat down with the one the only Patrick Duffy of course we chatted about what an icon Suzanne was step by step we also talked about that other show Patrick was in Dallas Bobby Ewing today I share this never before air chat with the one and only Mr. Patrick Duffy Hey everyone, this is David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined by the one, the only Patrick Duffy. Well, I hope I'm the only, you know, I don't know how many Patrick Duffys there might be out there. Did a huge box just pop up? Did you get it to go away? I saw you. Yes, I did. Okay. Sometimes people don't know how to get it to go away, but how are you? You are the only one. You're the only Patrick Duffy that I know. So welcome Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be behind the velvet rope. And if if behind the velvet rope is just a white wall, then I'd rather be where I am instead of behind the velvet rope. We were just talking. You're in you live in LA and you're in New York and I live mostly in New York and I'm now in LA. So <laughs> how is that for a Monday morning here? We could have met in St. Louis or something, you know, somewhere in between. Then I wouldn't have a white wall behind me. There we go. Did you, you know, jumping right in, you know, growing up in Montana, I mean, I know you started acting at a young age, but like, did you always want, I mean, you've been doing this for a while now. Did you always want to be an actor or like growing up, was there ever that like, look at that fireman, look at that, you know, school teacher. Did you ever think of doing something else? No, I I never did. Uh, And the only reason is that, you know, growing up in Montana, you know, until I was 12 years old you never thought about what you wanted to be. You know, I was, it was a town of 600 people. You know, we just rode bikes and fished and, you know, and played, you know, guns and all that kind of stuff. Um, And then when I went to Seattle, when my parents moved the family to Seattle, uh, it was an expansion of my cultural understanding, but still it was, I was, my father was a bartender, both my mother and father, but he was also a very good carpenter. And I always apprenticed with him and learned how to be a carpenter. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do better, then I love carpentry, but why not be an architect? So in my mind, I thought I would be an architect. And all through junior high and high school, my goal was to you know, go to the University of Washington in the School of Architecture, and that would be it. And that, you know, that'd be the next rung up on the Duffy ladder. Um, and it was doing school plays that changed everything you know, in basically in high school, doing the school place, just changed. That didn't change my focus, but it gave me an an alternative. And then my high school drama teacher is the one that said, you know, maybe you could earn a living, you know, doing this. And she was uh, thinking, you know, doing regional theater or, you know, that kind of earn a living. But uh, she had a certain amount of faith. And I I just, I was the only person that was championing me in any direction. 
So I, I went with her and, you know, her goals and aspirations. She wrote a letter. I got in a program and, and that changed my life. I, from the time I entered college, it, acting was the only thing I was going to do. Wow. Well, I know you had some parts, you were in Man in Atlantis and you had some other parts, but how did the role of Bobby Ewing come to you? Like, did you, did your team say go and audition? Did you hear about the position? Like, how, how did this start? I, I have lived under the luckiest star in the world uh, from the very beginning. You know, Man from Atlantis was my start, but I, I was literally building a boat, rebuilding, remodeling a boat in Long Beach, California, and going on auditions. And I auditioned for Man from Atlantis. And I went from one day on the boat doing my carpentry to the next day I had my own television show. How I got Dallas was next door to where I filmed Man from Atlantis. My dear friend over these last 40 years, Gregory Harrison, was doing Logan's Run. And his producer on Logan's Run was a man named Leonard Katzman, who ended up being the executive producer of Dallas. And both of our shows were canceled almost simultaneously, but we still had some shooting to do. So uh, when when Gregory's show shut down and they left the sound stages, his producer came over to my crew because Leonard already had the the contract to produce Dallas. And he went over to my crew and asked about me, you know, is he a team player? Is he a diva? Is he a this? Is he a, you know, all those things. Apparently, I got a good review. So I never auditioned for Dallas. Uh, Leonard just called my representatives, a wonderful agent that I had for 25 years, Joan Scott, and just offered the role, said, we'd like to offer the role of Bobby Ewing on this five-part miniseries. And um, that's what happened. I, I, I took it. Wow. Was there a buzz around it? Because I know it started as a five-part miniseries. Was, you know, just because it was like, you know, Larry Hagman had worked before Leonard Katzman, you know, was there or was it just like, this is a five-part miniseries and why not take it and let's see what happens? Exactly that. It was, there was no buzz, you know, it, 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 it's an interesting thing. It was before this whole internet media concept there was no way for Buzz to actually get started, maybe within the industry. You know, maybe CBS had an idea about it or something, but there was no general population understanding of any of it. Um, and we as a cast didn't have a, a, any buzz about whether it was going to be good or not. And I think most of it took it because it was five parts as opposed to a single pilot. You know, at least we had five episodes under our belt. If it died, then we go on to something else. But I took it because it was, I was offered a couple of other options. Uh, interestingly enough, you know, I am now, you know, completely involved with the love of my life, Linda Pearl. I was offered uh, the role to play her husband on Young Pioneers in 1978. Uh, but I was also offered this five-part uh, Dallas miniseries, basically. And so I took it instead of working with her. And here, almost 50 years later, here we are together. So all things come around. Did she know this? Like when you guys, you know, met now, like, did she know that you were offered that part? We discussed it, uh, you know, because, you know, we've had a, this sort of every 20 years, we circled back and met each other, but never as more than just, oh, hi, I remember you. And then goodbye. Um, so this time, two and a half years ago, yeah, then that's when we had enough time to sit and talk and realize just how uh, circular our re-meetings were over a period of time and that you know we could have been together since uh, 1978 but missed the boat but here we are you saved the best for last right I, they're perfect i'm gonna use that see okay. just you know the next time it comes up that you, you guys are talking that you could have been dating for 20 30 years there 
There you go. Save the best till last. What was your first impressions of like Larry Hagman, Victoria Principal, Linda Gray? We all met. Well, I met Linda first. Um, She came to my house with a makeup man uh, just because he had to drop something off at my house. She was with him. So I met her and she had just done a show called All That Glitters with Norman Lear. And it was a brilliant show. Uh, Should have gone forever, but it didn't. Um, But she played a man who becomes a woman. And I saw that and I just thought, this is an amazing actress. And then didn't know who she was, whatever. And then all of a sudden she walks in my front door with the makeup man from Atlantis. And that was just a hello. Oh, I remember your show. You were wonderful. And then they left. And about three weeks later, I walk into the room at Warner Brothers and there's Larry Hagman, Victoria Principal, you know, Ken Kershaw, Jim Davis, Barbara Bill Geddes and, you know, Linda Gray. But I remember, and I've told this story before because it's true, is uh, we were all introduced to each other. Hi, hi, hi. And I went up and, and, you know, Larry Hagman, Patrick Duffy, Patrick, and I shook his hand. And I went home that afternoon after the reading and I told my wife, I said, I just met my best friend. I met my best friend today at the reading. And Haggy said that he had the same feeling. And we became best friends from day one till the day he died. You know, uh, Linda and I were in his hospital room the day he died. So uh, that's how long we were best friends. How could you tell just from a handshake? I don't know. How can you tell, you know, when I fell in love with Linda? You know, you you can't tell. It's a, you know, if if you want to get, you know, philosophical about it, it, you know, I I think we're doing everything on a repetitive basis and it's a recognition, not an introduction. And, and, and I, I firmly believe that's what Maggie and I did. We just recognized each other from whatever relationship might have been. It was just like, Oh, here you are again. God, good to see you. You know, that's the subtext and the same thing. Same thing was true with Linda. You know, when we started, we're a, a, a COVID romance, you know, we were zooming each other from Colorado to Oregon um, but in the course of, you know, two months of Zooming every night, it was a recognition of, oh, yeah, this is way too comfortable to be a first time. You know, wow. so you just continue on. I love both of those stories. <laughs> when did you realize, because, you know, it was a five part miniseries, obviously it got picked up to come back. And then but I mean, do you have like a memory of when you were like, OK, wait, this is the one that's going to change my life? Well, I'm not sure I have an exact memory, but in the first year after we did the five and then they started airing, we we were quite low on the ratings chart. I, I forget where we were. We were like 30th or something to begin with. And it just kept mounting. And so by the time the fifth episode was was airing, we had a substantial rating. But you have to remember, there were only three networks at the time. So, you know, the ratings don't equate to what they are now. But then when we when the network jumped on it when cbs said yeah we're going we're you know and i don't know if they picked up the front nine and then the back 12 or whatever it ended up being but the minute they they responded so quickly to picking us up for a series that's when all of us sort of looked at each other and thought "Uh oh this could be something but truly it wasn't until the who shot jr phenomena that we realized we're on a rocket ship this is going to go as long as the cast wants it to go and um, th- th- we have 13 years. The wait is over. That's right. A season five of The Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. 
Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all-new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. This summer, the world must answer one question. Why has no one made a popsicle that gets you high yet? That's right, it's summer, and it's time for you to get your hands on America's new favorite product, Danksicles. 20 milligrams of THC in two great flavors, the latest and greatest innovation from IndiCloud. Is IndiCloud the greatest company to come out of America? Maybe. But what we do know for sure is that IndiCloud is the best way to get dispensary-grade cannabis delivered directly to your door, 100% legally. Yes, they ship legally to all states. No medical card needed. Whether it's vapes as big as your head, flowers you won't find in your mom's garden, or, of course, popsicles that get you high as What are you waiting for? Go to indicloudco slash spring24 and get discreet delivery on top-shelf THC products. Head over to indicloudco slash spring24. That's co, not com, to snag 30% off your first order. I have no time for anything this month. It's the holidays, and it's one of the reasons why now more than ever I have turned to HelloFresh. HelloFresh has let me skip the grocery store, and it saved me time with these tasty recipes that are delivered right to my front door. I love that HelloFresh has so many options you can choose from. You can do pescatarian, fit and wholesome, quick and easy. They have deliveries that are family-friendly, veggie. The options are endless. I made the most amazing sweet potato fajitas last night. All of this was delivered. The sweet potatoes, the jalapenos, the lime, even the sour cream and cilantro. You can save money this month. That's right. Cheaper than takeout. And with pre-proportioned ingredients, you'll never waste money on excess food. And they have recipes for all three meals of the day. Listen, go to hellofresh.com slash free and use code velvetropefree for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash Velvet Rope Free with code Velvet Rope Free. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. I've been telling you guys for months about how great the Moisture Rich Bomb from Oak Essentials is for my face. The reason why my face looks so glowing and hydrated and dewy, it's because of Oak Essentials Moisture Rich Bomb. Well, now I need to tell you about Oak Essentials Body Routine. Their body routine is my go-to for glowing results from the neck down. The body products are so luxurious from Oak Essentials, but I'm particularly in love with a luminous body lotion. It's so soothing and hydrating, but still incredibly lightweight. And just like the Moisture Rich Balm for my face, the new Moisture Rich Body Balm, oh my God. It has that same intensive moisture. Ooh. This holiday season, get yourself or someone you love Oak Essentials. It's my go-to skincare brand for radiant and glowing skin. My followers get 15% off their first order when they use code VELVET at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at O-A-K-E-S-S-E-N-T-I-A-L-S dot com promo code VELVET. Whether you're starting from scratch or filling in the gaps, Oak Essentials gives you one less thing to worry about. Treat yourself because you deserve it. Do you remember that first moment of like fame and like, you know, was it an airport? Was it walking down the street? And like, what was your relationship to fame? You know, like I've talked to people that 
think, you know, they say, look, it's a great thing. Some people have demons associated with fame and say, like, right. I just really want to focus on the work. Like, do you have that memory? And like, what was your relationship when you guys blow up? Well, well, first of all, I don't totally believe anybody who says they only want the work and they don't like the fame. You know, we work for recognition, whether it's from our fellow actors or the director you're working with. So recognition is a large part of why we do what we do. Otherwise, nobody would do it for the public. You could just act in your living room. Just study Shakespeare in your living room if all you want to do is the work. No, no, we we do it for the feedback. So, you know, it depends on how you respond to feedback, whether you enjoy yourself or not. Um, I was I wasn't like inured to it on Dallas, but I had had an interesting um, awareness of of recognition because of Man from Atlantis. It was such a unique series. You know, it was an underwater superhero in a time when. You know, there just weren't uh, those types of special effects show on the air. There was uh, the $6 million man and the man from Atlantis. And that was essentially all there was. Um, so and then later on, the Hulk came in and things like that. But um, walking the streets, even during the filming of Man from Atlantis, people recognized me. They went, oh, you're that fish guy. Oh, yeah. You do that thing where you swim like that. Uh, so I got that. Um, the other thing that happened, though, that was interesting and sort of set the tone for my future completely in terms of recognition was uh, my son was two years old, year and a half old uh, when I did man from Atlantis and NBC did a big promotional push. They did, they came and filmed in my little apartment in Santa Monica, uh, you know, my wife and my son and myself and, uh, you know, it went on and on and on. And then before the show launched, it was promoted on air and all that. And my wife was shopping in a supermarket and a person, a total stranger came up to her and pointed to my son who was in the shopping cart and said, that's that boy that was on the promotion stuff for that fish show. And we realized how invasive publicity can be. And it was at that point I became very protective. Uh, I, I had a dividing line between my personal life and my professional life. And I, I wasn't mean about it or anything but um, from that moment on I never did an interview in my home I never did an interview with my children my wife is a different situation of course because we're a couple and we go out together and that, that's the thing but there was never anything about my family uh, and I maintained that uh, to the to the very end and now my you know my sons have children etc but um, I was ready in one sense for the 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 recognition fame factor of Dallas uh, and and was sort of prepared. I was, I was, you know, I was leaning into it. I, I knew something was coming when it started to get popular. So I was ready. But were you prepared for the over hundred million people? Like you mentioned, you know, who shot Jr. I imagine was no. that just like every friend, every famous friend, everyone just did not want to talk to you about anything about like yeah. give us spoilers. We we must know. It was off the charts. There's no way to even. There's no way to even describe it um, because I think now the the viewing the people who are watching your show and stuff they're so used to you know all of the reality shows and the Entertainment Tonight and Extra and all these things so they're bombarded with celebrity in their private life but when the show was so popular and there weren't those avenues and you were out on the street people were crazed about it they couldn't believe you were walking the street like a mortal you know it was it was insane and all of us in the cast reacted in different ways 
you know, Haggy loved it. He enjoyed nothing more than the recognition. He he dressed for it. He never went out unless he had his big cowboy hat and his dress to the nines. Um, he he was he was the quintessential parade, you know. Uh, and other people were you know less inclined to do it. You know, some cast members I'm sure had uh, press agents. Uh, I never had a press agent. Uh, I would. I loved working. I, I came to work early every day. Uh, you know, I was the first one in, last one out. Haggy and I would have a glass of champagne every morning at 6 a.m. Uh, but the, we worked so fast on that show because everybody wanted to be home with their families. So we had a director once who actually said, I love working with happily married actors. And we said, why? And he said, you guys just want to do your work as quick as possible and go home. You know, and people who don't want to go home always find another reason to delay. You know, I want another take. I need this. I need that. You know, and those are the shows that go forever. You go, oh, my God, just let me get out of here. But never on Dallas. We were just one happy group of family members. Well, I do remember when that happened. It was like the cover of Time magazine. And it was literally everywhere. And people had guesses. And, you know, and I know you guys had like scripts and like different endings. And I mean, oh, the, the the queen mother, you know, Queen Elizabeth's mother, when she was alive, cornered Hagman in, in England and said, oh, Mr. Hagman, could you tell me, please? And he said, no, ma'am, I'm sorry. I cannot tell because he didn't know, but he pretended he did. So it was, yeah, it was crazy time. Crazy time. So you have this, you're, you're, you're Bobby Ewing. The show is a huge hit. People love it everywhere. You're there. Lots of success. Talk to me about, you know, season eight, your decision to leave. Oh, right. Right. Well, you know, I always say it was the best accidental decision I ever made. And the reason being is um, Dallas was an ensemble show. You know, it was an ensemble show with Hagman at the head, which we all loved. You know, it was great uh, because anything that he did, you know, encouraged and 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 benefited us. You know, the show just kept getting higher and higher. But at at the end of of you know, I had a I had a, a seven year contract, which is standard in the business. And as I approached the end of that seven years, I thought to myself, you know, I had done Man from Atlantis. That was my own show. I'm on this ensemble and it's a smash hit. And I thought if there's ever a time to cash in on the success that I'm sharing with all these people and use it for myself, it should be now. And I discussed it with my agent who said no, because, you know, she wanted the, the steady income. But every, everybody went, no, you have to make this decision yourself. And it was fine. And, and Lorimar tried to talk me out of it. But once I wouldn't be talked down, um, they said, okay, then then you should do it and we'll do the best we can to make it work. Um, so I left the show. Leonard Katzman asked me, how do you want to leave? You know, And I said, what I don't want is to leave the impression that I'm tricking the audience that, oh, Bobby disappeared and he could come back or Bobby you know, is in an accident and we don't know what happened. I said, I want to go out a hero. Bobby's been a hero for seven years. I said, let me die on camera, but as a hero. And that's how the whole saving Pam from the car, the hospital scene and Bobby flatlines and he's dead. And that's what I thought was the end of my Dallas association. Well, my decision didn't work out the way I thought it was going to. I didn't just jump into another series immediately. I did some TV movies, commercials and some other stuff, but it wasn't 
it, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And Haggy was the first person who just said, you know, that's the dumbest thing you've ever done in your life. And I went, oh, come on, because we maintained our friendship. And then, uh, you know, as the year went on and the, the, the ratings dropped, not just because I was gone, but Leonard left the show as well. And the show took a turn, which Hagman hated. He hated the, the whole eighth year, the, the way the plots were. And it was international and drugs and spies. And he just went, ah. And so the discussion was, you know, maybe we should start over and bring Leonard Katzman back. So he came back first. They said, we don't, the producers are not doing what we want. Please come back. Leonard said, yes. And then my phone rang. And it was Hagman. And back in the days, your viewers hopefully will study up and realize we had answer machines in those days. And the little red light was blinking on my answer machine. And I turned it on and it was Haggy. And he went, hey, Patrick, I want you to come out to Malibu. Let's take a jacuzzi and get drunk. I want to talk to you. And I hung up and I turned to my wife. I said, he's going to ask me to come back on the show. And that's what happened. He asked me to come back. They knew that he was the only one who could broach the subject, but I was ready. I missed him. I missed the show. I missed everything. I was ready. So I said, yeah, let's, yeah, I'm in, let's do it. So that's when Leonard approached me and, and said, here's my plan. And it was his plan to do the dream thing because he hated the last season as well. And he didn't want to try and fix it. He wanted to just erase it. So he said, you didn't die. It was all a dream. And I went, oh, this is so cool. <laughs> you know, This is so exciting. And that's what we did. And uh, we got five more years out of the show. There's so much interesting about that. When you initially go in, though, and say, you know, here's the deal. And, you know, not only do I want to leave and you said they try to keep you like I imagine they just get on their knees and they just say, here's the dump truck of money and we're going to back it up into your to your house. Like because I mean, Bobby and Jr. I mean, that what look, it was it was an ensemble show. Everyone was so great. But I mean, that at the core was a huge core center of the show. So I imagine they try to keep you. But what do they say when you say, I don't want Bobby to, you know, break up with Pam, move to New York, need yeah. a year to, you know, when you say, I actually want him to die. I mean, that must have been met with some reaction. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was, you know, at that point, Dallas, after seven years, had a had a uh, an upper tier, let's call it, of producers and, and you know, people with their finger in the pie. Um, and most of them knew the the dollar and cents reality that it was going to take a hit because it was, you know, an ensemble, but Bobby was a big part of that ensemble. And, and they tried, you know, everything, you know, renegotiations and all of that. But to me, it wasn't, it, it truly wasn't about the money. It was about what am I going to do for the rest of a career if this just kind of peters out slowly and then everybody is going, oh, those tired old actors from Dallas, they, you know, what are they going to do? So that's why I made that jump decision. And and eventually they just, they they understood, you know, at that upper tier level, they're all businessmen. And then, so they looked at my decision as a business decision eventually and supported it from that standpoint. They, they weren't happy, but they could uh, acquiesce to it. I had a date yesterday and I was looking really cute. I had on jeans and like a tight fitting t-shirt and I had on my Soho sneaker Vessies. Of course I dress for fashion and to look good, but you know what? My outfit came in really practical because it started to rain right after the date ended. My Vessies were the lifesaver of the outfit. Vessies are 100% waterproof shoes. I've tried other shoes and sneakers that claim to be waterproof only to get home to feet that are soaking wet. Vessies actually work. I used to wear those clunky rain boots. Oh, they were so unstable. 
stylish. Now I wear Vessies because not only do they keep my feet completely waterproof and dry, they're so comfortable and they're stylish. Perfect for a first date. Look, the date didn't go well, but at least my feet were fully dry. But don't take my word for it. Get a pair for yourself. Head to Vessi.com slash velvet and get a pair yourself today. Just go to Vessi.com slash velvet and get 15% off your first order. That's right. V-E-S-S-I.com slash velvet for 15% off your first order. Unwrap the first of many presents this season with holidays on the house from DraftKings Casino. Cozy up with all the classics like slots, blackjack, and roulette, and play exclusive games you'll only find at DraftKings Casino. Download the DraftKings Casino app now and sign up with promo code VELVETROPE and play $5 to get $100 in casino credits. That's promo code VELVETROPE only at DraftKings Casino. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit Visit www.1800gambler.net. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly, 21 and over. Physically present in Connecticut, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia only. Void in Ontario. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. One per opted in new customer, wager required, max $100 in casino credit awarded, which requires one-time playthrough within seven days. Terms at casino.draftkings.com slash holidays on the house. Restrictions apply. Right. You know, it's more like of the, I've played one character for so long and let me see what else is out there. Right. Exactly. And and it wasn't that I hated the character or I didn't like the show. It, It was all, you know, and then, like I said, luckiest bad decision I ever made. When Bobby came back on the show, there was such a hype about my returning. And who was I? Was I the evil brother? Was I the this? Was I the that? The thing they didn't consider was that I was Bobby Ewing. And so when I came back in the in the shower, then it put me in the position that I left the show to be in. I I achieved the next rung up. You know, then it really was about Jr. and Bobby, you know, and 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 I established, a, you know, just the next level of pecking order and, and not to the detriment of any other cast members or anything. It just was, you know, the way the business works. So uh, second to the who shot Jr. the Bobby in the shower thing was, you know, a biggie. Right. So you came back to like blockbuster ratings and then everyone was happy and it all Everybody. just the yeah. whole season really was a dream. And like, let's it just really was on. a dream. Man. And for a while it was a nightmare, but then it turned out to be a good dream. When, when you were gone, you know, cause there is like the tabloid fodder of like, you know, you were typecast, you know, you were trying to get parts. People are like, welcome Bobby Ewing. No, thank you. Like we want, you know, we see you as Bobby and only Bobby. Right. Like, was that the case? Like, did Larry really have to convince you or were you kind of like, would you have made that call anyway on your own maybe and said, Hey guys, guess what? I probably wouldn't have initiated the call on my own uh, only because I'm, uh, I I think, well, it's not, I think I know how the business works to a certain extent. And the last thing you are is in charge of the time, you know, you have no control over that. So, you know, it wasn't a, a one year shot to stardom again. But I figured, you know, one year, maybe not so much. They'll forget about it. And, do it. and I was ready to ride it out. But as I said, I missed everybody. They were my best friends. 
You know, I, I wasn't having fun the way I did on Dallas when I would do other jobs. So it was it was the perfect timing, again, of, of them wanting me and me wanting to come back. What about as an actor? Like, what was your reaction? I mean, you were obviously invested in the character. What was your reaction when they said, you're not the evil twin, like you are Bobby, this is a dream? I mean, did you at least have some, like, what? <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I... I did to a certain extent, like, really, they were going to do the dream thing. And, and, but then, you know, I was trained before I thought I would be a television actor, you know, to do theater. And, you know, there's so many classics that rely on dreams to solve problems that, it, you know, when Leonard talked to me about it, I just went, oh, yeah, it's like Alice in Wonderland. It's like the Wizard of Oz. You know, it's like, uh, you know, a good half a dozen Shakespeare plays are all, you know, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. I mean, come on, the, the dream is a fail-safe way to solve problems if you don't know how to solve them. And so the dream thing made perfect sense. We we offended people. Uh, I will admit that there was a fan base that was offended, but for the right reasons. Our fan base on Dallas was so loyal that even though the show was not as good uh, on that year, and not because of my absence, but because of the, the production itself, um, they still watched it. They were still fans, and they and they they mourned, if you want to put it that way, Bobby's death. They were invested in dealing with it and seeing Mama sit by the graveside and all of this stuff that went on. And then for us to just say King's X didn't work, ha ha, you know we're back. Um, certain people were upset, uh, but they continued to watch. They were still fans, and uh, over time, I was forgiven for it, sure. Yeah, I mean, I was a fan. I mean, I didn't really have a reaction one way or another, but right, I mean, people were divided. People were jumping, you know, jumping the shark, and this is the, you know, and listen, you've you've done your own parodies of it. Like, there have been parodies. It's still parodied of, like, right. this is the craziest thing in the world. There were a lot of angered people, and it was almost, like you said, second to Aisha Jarrett, like the outrage of Bobby in the shower and he's alive and people were thrilled to have you back, but also not thrilled. It was yeah, a strange yeah. time. I, I totally got that. But again, you mentioned that we've now been parroted as, uh, as well as parodied. Uh, you know, Bob Newhart did it on his show. You know, at the end of his second big series, he wakes up with Suzanne Plachette and it was just a dream. And it was obviously on the nose uh, reference to the Dallas dream years. So, you know, it's been, it's happened a lot. That's the highest form of flattery, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, to your point, would the public have been any happier if you did come back? You know, Patrick Duffy is now on Dallas playing another character for the next five years, not Bobby. That would make, that would, I think, anger people to the nth degree. I think they would have been angrier for a longer period of time. And I think it would have turned them off once they got used to the fact that, hey, everything's back to normal and we can do the battling Ewings all over again. They loved it. They did love it. You know, like we talked about before, you know, you go, jobs come and go, you know, it's, it's acting, but, you know, you don't make lifelong friends on most acting jobs in most TV series. That's just not how it works. Like, talk to me about, you know, what is it like, you know, having been friends with Larry to the end, your friendship with Linda continues, like, what is that like? Yeah, it's, you know, I said I lived under and continue to live under this umbrella of good fortune um, that uh, a man from Atlantis, my dear friend and is a dear friend to this day is Belinda Montgomery, 
who played, you know, the doctor who sort of uh, takes care of that underwater guy. Uh, she's a dear friend to this day. Um, then I met Hagman and Linda, Kenny Kershaw, uh, Steve Keneally, Victoria, you know, the whole, I, I was just about a month ago, I was uh, in Germany with Linda Gray and Charlene Tilton, you know. And I saw that. Every time we're together, it's this fun fest. We just love each other. We can't, we can't get close enough. So that was all of Dallas. When I left Dallas, I thought, well, that's probably it. I don't know if I'll work with somebody I'm that close to. And a week later, I walked into the room and there's Suzanne Summers. And I've said this before. She became my Larry Hagman. She became instantly a dear friend. We've been dear friends forever. You know, she calls me her second husband, you know, and Alan, her real husband is fine with it. So that's okay. Um, but Linda, Linda Pearl, not Linda Gray, but Linda and I just were uh, over at Suzanne's house in, in Palm Springs, you know, just because it's, it's family. So I've been really fortunate to be with dear friends on every show I was on. And I have said, I've never had a bad day at work. I've never had a single day at work that I felt was a horrible experience. No. Wow. Do you keep in touch with Victoria Principal too? Victoria and I probably once a year connect up uh, where, you know, Linda and I are, you know, always texting and that kind of thing. Um, but that's just a matter of choice and circumstance. Uh, Kenny uh, would, uh, we never got together that much, but we would always text or phone each other. You know, he phoned me maybe a week before he passed. Steve Keneally is still, you know, a brother basically to me, lives up in Ojai in California. Um but we tend to not get together as much unless it's a, a retrospective of sorts. And then we're together. And then it's, again, it's just like going back to work. It's the funnest thing ever. What about the, um, what about Priscilla Presley? You know, I mean, I know she's going through a lot now, of course, I can't imagine. Yeah. I got, uh, you know, I was fortunate to be able to get a message to her just to, you know, not to say I understand because you don't, but to just say I'm here, you know, and whatever you can get from that is what I want to give you. Um, working with her was amazing. Well, first of all, when I heard it was going to be Priscilla Presley, I did what everybody else did. I went, Elvis's Priscilla Presley? Really? And yeah, so the first, our first scene was our, uh, in the script, was Bobby meeting Jenna again, because they were girlfriend, boyfriend from early days. So here we are in the in Billy Bob's in, in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, which is one of the largest cowboy nightclubs on the planet. It's just huge. And we had it as our set that day, you know, maybe a hundred extras all dancing and everything. And here's Priscilla Presley in my arms on the dance floor, right after we said, hello, nice to meet you. And then I'm, I'm wooing my ex-girlfriend who's Priscilla Presley. It was unbelievable. It was, you know, it was Another one of those gifts that, you know, you're honored to receive in our business. Uh, and that's, you know, working with Priscilla. But in, in actuality, the same thing is true in retrospect for me, working with Barbara Bill Geddes. You know, I wasn't as aware as I should have been as to the royalty that she represents in terms of theatrical and film actress extraordinaire. I knew Jim Davis because I was addicted to old cowboy movies on television. So I knew who he was. I knew Haggy from I Dream of Jeannie. 
you know, uh, and and on uh, guest stars on Dallas, you know, I directed Alexis Smith, you know, Alexis Smith. Uh, I directed uh, Brad Pitt when he was like 16 or 15, uh, not knowing who they were. So the 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 beauty of our job is that we get to either immediately recognize our good fortune or in retrospect, honor it. Uh, Priscilla was an immediate one, obviously, because of just the renowned nature of her being. But over the years, you know, either by learning later who these remarkable people were or by anticipating them when I saw their name on the call sheet. Either way, um, it's such an honor to share this experience of acting with people that you admire that much. Yeah. And I imagine like a Priscilla Presley, like you said, there is like all these preconceived notions one way or another, just because of Elvis. And then there she is on Dallas. Oh, wait a minute. Okay. Here. I'm going to say goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. Linda goodbye. Pearl can join and say hello anytime she wants. <laughs> She's off to a rehearsal, but I just thought I'd, I showed off. Basically, uh, Listen, I, I'm not going to argue with that. I mean, you know, is Charlene Tilton there too or something? You know, you yeah, could show off down here though. Want. She's yes. very low. I'll lift her up. <laughs> I know. I mean, feel free to show off wherever you want. Okay. But yes, I imagine there's that Oops, preconceived. I hope I didn't flash you earlier. I was getting no, dressed. you did it. You no, did okay, it. Okay, because I was getting dressed in the background. Sorry. No, you did it. Nice I to meet you. <laughs> no flashing. Um, but yes, I imagine there's preconceived notions just because it's Priscilla Presley and Elvis, <laughs> and then there she is actually yeah. acting. And everybody was quite nervous. Uh cast crew, you know, everybody was I mean, here we had, you know, royalty of another sort on the set and everybody was kind of pussyfooting around and thing. So, you know, I'd been on the show long enough. I figured, well, it's up to me. And so I'm dancing with her, you know, and it, for the audience that doesn't know how it works, they play the music real loud so that everybody can dance in the same rhythm. And then they cut out the music and it's eerily silent, but you're pretending that you're hearing all this music so they can hear us have a dialogue. So the music cut out, we're dancing a nice slow dance together. And I just figured, well, go for it. And I went, Hold me close, hold me tight, make me thrill with delight, because I can't sing. But it made her relax. She laughed. Then we looked. I said, I had to do it. And then she said, I get it. And then everybody was happy. And from that minute on, I felt that Priscilla and I were friends beyond whatever level of recognition that everybody else saw us as. We were in this little bubble of, I'm here for you, you know. I'll be Bobby and you be Jenna and let's just do that relationship. And, and she relaxed and she was brilliant on the show, uh, you know, and, and could have been, you know, it was a good foil for the Bobby Pam thing to have Jenna get in the middle, you know, and the audience loved her. The viewing audience signed on to her right away. That's why she stayed on the show so long, you know, ended up with Steve for a while and, you know, the whole thing. So it was, it was a good call. You sang Elvis to her day one, broke the ice, and then yep. the tension was, was you know. What about, like, I know, like, you and, like, Larry and Linda were really good friends. What about all the tabloid fodder? I mean, back in the day of, like, you know, Victoria Principal, and she didn't really jive with you guys. And, you know, between scenes, she would always do her own thing. Like, yeah. is that just all Well, Victoria, hype? and this is, a, a, this is the thing about Victoria, is she, A, she's an actress who does her work, you know. Um, and she's said this before, but I recognized it even while we were doing it. First of all, we had a great relationship. You know, 
on camera, great relationship, Bobby Pam, but and off camera. And then I'm going to say the word but, but I don't mean it as a as a negative. She looked at her part as Pam through the eyes of the script. She was the odd man out. She was a Barnes living in a Ewing house. She was the worst thing to ever happen to the entire Ewing family. And she chose to not become part of the gang and then have to back out and do the other other side of it. It wasn't that she, we weren't friendly together as a group or did things together. We always did. You know, if there was a group party, we were all there. But work-wise, she, she did maintain a bit of a distance, but it was because that's how she worked. And the same thing is with her, her business when she left the show. You know, once she left the show, she didn't do anything concerning Dallas. Not a single thing. And again, fodder, you know, the, the tabloid fodder was, oh, it's this other thing. It's not. She went into business as Victoria Principal doing the principal secret, you know, principal makeup. And she didn't want it to be Victoria Principal slash Pam Ewing, Victoria Principal slash Dallas. She wanted her territory. And I get that 100%. That's a businesswoman. And she's a brilliant businesswoman. And and we all applaud her for that. But, you know, tabloids make of it what they will. You know, we were a tight family. No tabloids members. make of it what they will, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, we, you mentioned Suzanne Summers. I had the pleasure of sitting here with her twice in the oh, past. Lucky Talked, you. I mean, right? Like, you know, I, your name came up as well. So she says just as great things about you. Like, talk to me about Step by Step. Like, was that just so much fun after like a drama like Dallas? Oh, it was, it was, like I said, I walked into the room. Um, well, the funny thing about that was, uh, again, Leonard Katzman, uh, Bob Boyette and Tom Miller, uh, you know, super successful, famous people. But Leonard had worked with him, with Tom Miller, uh, years before Dallas on a show called Petrocelli. Okay. Your history buffs will know Petrocelli. But um, so they maintained their professional friendship the whole time. So when I left the show on year seven, Leonard called up Tom Miller. And because of the fun that Larry and I would always have, Leonard called up Tom Miller and said, I've got a scoop for you. One of my stars is leaving the show. And I think he would be great in one of your comedies. And Tom Miller said, Larry Hagman's leaving Dallas? <laughs> Had no idea that it would be me. And so when Leonard said, no, no, Patrick Duffy. And they basically said, but he's not funny. You know, so they sent over my uh, gag reel, the the Dallas gag reel. So fade out, fade in after a year. Uh, but then I came back on Dallas. They were going to do a, a series with me, uh, Tom Miller and Bob Oyette, about a fire uh, company, sort of like Taxi, but a firehouse, okay, uh, called Mixed Company, okay. And we were all set to produce this, and I was going to star in it and things. And then they asked me back on Dallas. I went back on Dallas, so that whole project was canceled. Five years later, when everybody knew that Dallas was being canceled, Tom Miller and Bob Boyette immediately called up and said, we have this idea and we want you to do it. And I walked in and there's Suzanne Summers and we did step by step for seven years. What's it like working with Suzanne Summers? Well, first of all, understand on a, on a half hour, you're always on a soundstage. You know, it's a wonderful work situation. Uh, you're on a soundstage, you drive in in the morning, people make you breakfast, you go up to your dressing rooms. You know, if you're successful, you decorate your dressing room any way you want to, and it becomes your little hideout. It's wonderful. Well, 
Suzanne decorated hers like a New York penthouse. I decorated mine like my ranch in Oregon, but we were never in there because we were always sitting side by side on our chairs down on the soundstage, just tucking away, nattering away all the time. And they knew where to find us every minute of the day because we never shut up. We would work together, rehearse together, film together and sit together talking all the time. It was, it was so much fun. And plus the rest of the cast, they were our children. They, you know, I, to this day, am, a, am completely in love with my daughters on that show. Christine Lakin is like a daughter. Uh, Stacy Keenan, so like a daughter to me. Um, so all of those friendships, you know, maintain themselves. But Suzanne and I just clicked. We just clicked. And uh, it was wonderful, you know, it was and still is to this day. And such fun and such trust. Um, you know, I've had people every every job I've had, I've not known how it worked. When I did Man from Atlantis, I hadn't done a lick of television. And so I would do something and then look at Belinda and she would give me a smile like, at a boy, you did good. Now that night, I got my confidence from her. On Dallas, I got my confidence from the whole cast, you know, doing a drama. Then when I did a com I had never done a three camera comedy. Suzanne Summers was known for her three camera for, you know, uh, um, three's company. So the first few episodes, I would look to her. You know, and she would give me a smile and a wink and a good job, or eh, maybe you should do it again, you know, that kind of thing. But we developed this trust that then when I started directing step by step, um, there was such a feeling of trust with the cast that it wasn't like I was overstepping my bounds, you know, uh, or, or pushing an agenda that they didn't feel was right. Uh, it was all because I loved each one of them, you know, and that's how we worked. What did you learn from Suzanne Summers like professionally? Just because she was such a queen of comedy. I mean, she's she is, but certainly Christy Snow and all of that. I learned from her immediately, relax and go for it. They can always pull you back, but give them more than they ask for. Because on three cameras, you do a run through of a rehearsal and then they make notes and rewrite the script and you do it again the next day with a new script. So if you just are there doing what they want and nothing else, they just do what they want. But if you throw them 10 ideas in the course of your rehearsal during that day, they might do a couple of them. They might be a home run for you. And then it gives you this incentive to search and explore and relax. And she, she was fearless. She was absolutely fearless. She wasn't afraid to look as stupid as you could possibly look if she thought it was funny for the moment. And it was, you know, a lot of times it was funny, but they said, no, you can't do that. And she'd go, okay. You know, and so I would do the same thing. I would just lay it out there. Why not try it? You know, Why not I, try it? I became sort of famous on the set because I've, I, I'm not famous is not the right word, but they would go, oh God, Patrick, you're doing it again. It was that I would do a nose bump every time I could. And it became a cliche. I knew they weren't going to use it, but I would do it all the time. They would just go, you know, I could see the the rows of the writers and producers, you know, there's usually about a dozen chairs right in front of the set while you're re rehearsing and running the show. And I would do a nose bump and literally 10 out of 12 people would go, no, we can't, you know, but it was, it became a, a thing, but it helped ease the, any, not tension is there wasn't tension, but just, it gave even the young people, permission to do a little more 
you know, to not feel like, oh, I, I don't know if I should do this. I said, go ahead and do it. They can only tell you no. Let's right. do it. Try it once. So uh, it was a wonderful seven years. What about the TNT Dallas reboot in 2012? Like, did you, were you all yeses? Like you, Larry and Linda, was there any hesitations in, you know, revisiting these iconic characters? We might get it wrong. Well, two things come into play with that. One is when, when Dallas ended, we realized that the three of us, Larry, Linda and myself, as much as we loved each other, loved being together, we would never work together again. Because what you said earlier on in, in this podcast was, when I walk in the door, when Haggy walks in the door, when Linda walks in the door, the viewing audience goes, oh, there's Bobby and JR and Sue Ellen. And if we walk in together, there's just no way that we could be anything other than those three. So we thought, yeah, never going to work. And over the years, we have been given scripts. You know, a lot of people wanted to redo Dallas, you know, so they'd submit a script and they were God awful. Almost all of them were just horrible. No one understood the show. And Leonard was dead by then, so he couldn't, you know, be involved. So we have basically resigned ourselves to the fact that we wouldn't work together. Then we got a notification that TNT is looking to do it. And they have this writer, producer named Cynthia Sidra, who's written a script. Would you read it? And, you know, Larry, Lynn, and I, anytime anything happens, we're on the phone together. No decision is made unilaterally. We do it as a team. And we always have. And so we got together and said, yeah, let's read the script. And as soon as we read it, let's talk. So we all got the scripts. We read it. I was in Oregon. Larry was in Malibu. Linda was in Canyon Country or someplace. And literally put down the script. And within a half hour, we were on the phone together. It was the best Dallas script that we'd read since Dallas. And we said, we should get serious about this. Let's, let's open it up. So that's why the show was picked up. Because they knew that... If the three of us didn't do it, it wouldn't get done. And when the three of us said, absolutely, we should do it. Um, and the first script was terrific. Uh, her ear was really good. Mike Robin was the other uh, executive producer. He's a brilliant filmmaker and a, a real, uh, his, 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 his film logic in terms of character and stuff, when it's, being depicted is phenomenal. And there's no better director to work with than, than Mike Robin. There's no better producer writer to run a show than Cynthia. So we were on, we were in the mix, we were dedicated to it. And in all honesty, I think it should have run five, six years, maybe longer. Um, what happened was the entire upper echelon of TNT changed. Um, and, uh, you know, our champion was gone. You know, for the show, they brought in a bunch of new producer, uh, not producers, but president of the network who wanted to make his mark. So he said, Dallas is an old show. We want a young, youthful thing. And, and he can't. We were the second highest rated show on TNT when we were canceled. Um, so uh, we missed the boat on that. You know, I think it should have gone longer. But everything happens for a reason. You know, when it was canceled, I went back to L.A. instead of living in Dallas. Uh, Mike Robin went back to working on uh, major crimes and immediately brought me in to direct. So I was able to, the first time I'd ever directed something I wasn't acting in. Wow. It was a change and that changed things for me. So I ended up directing major crimes as well. So it was great. 
I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I thought it should have lasted. I mean, it was just, I mean, you know, there was the online petitions and there was, there was outrage and I know there was changes at the TNT, but I thought it was, I mean, I couldn't believe how brilliant I thought it was. Yeah. Yeah. It was, she just got it. She understood why it was successful the first time around. And the reason that I love doing it is I wasn't going back playing Bobby Ewing as the 35 year old that he was when it was canceled. Well, he's 40 plus years, but Who's counting? Who's so counting? the first episode was Bobby's 60th birthday, although I think I was 63 at the time. But I thought nobody generally gets a chance to play the same character, but having aged appropriately, you know? So uh, to play Bobby as a, as a, as a, not just as an adult, but as a, as a senior adult was to me really interesting acting exercise who who you know he's not the brash guy who would you know punch somebody or push him in the pool or all that now he's a different person but he's still bobby so it was it was wonderful for me those those three years were terrific was it like cathartic or was there some comfort in the fact that you know like at the time of larry's passing like you guys were at least you had one more chance to work with him you were kind of in close contact with linda i mean i know you guys are really good friends anyway but you were working together Oh yeah. Larry and Larry and Linda and I would sit together during the filming and stuff. And Larry especially would just say, I'm 82 years old and we get to play together again. This is the best life ever. And he, that was his attitude. And it was, it was cathartic. You know, we, we were able to be those friends that we were in 1991, you know, in 2011, you know, that was 20 years. And we got to sit in the chairs that said J.R., Bobby, Sue Ellen, you know, and be those characters and be our friendship off camera. It was uh, it was three blessed years. Do you think you are? Are we done with Dallas reboots or movies or, you know, and yeah, that's really. I don't know. I don't know. And, And I've as obviously because of what we talked about, you can never say never anymore in any business. Um. When Dallas was canceled by TNT, Mike Robin made a concerted effort to find another home for it. The financial labyrinth of Dallas makes it almost impossible. It, it did make it impossible to find a home for it immediately. Um, there's, it has gone through so many production companies, so many studios. You know, there's CBS, there's TNT, there's Lorimar, there's Warner Brothers. The, the, you know, everybody has some control over some things and it made it impossible for him to make a deal um that's not to say that one or more of the characters couldn't come back in a different format perhaps i i, I don't know how all that works i am certainly not opposed to you know any revisitation of my character or of linda's character or of anybody's to be quite honest if if it worked if if, if you could get a writer of the level of cynthia to ferret out uh, uh, something that would work. And then if you can make the business work. Yeah. I, so there is an outside chance, you know, I'm not sure it's going to happen within my lifetime, but you know, keep a good thought. We never know. Yeah. I know there's a lot of finances associated with Dallas and like, guess would, I guess, so it sounds like you would be interested, even though like Larry's not here. And I mean, that's just a, well, we did the, we did the final year without yeah. him. And and it was it wasn't a struggle. Um, it was very interesting. It, it wasn't a mournful set, you know, because 
everything about him was so enjoyable that it was, you know, we would just tell Hagman stories all the time and everybody would be laughing and crying, you know, from laughter over it. So, yeah, to, to go back and do it again would be, uh, you know, you know, you'd have to do an homage, of course, uh, to his character. You'd have to remember if I'm playing Bobby, there's got to be a reference to J.R., it's just, you know, it's inevitable. So none of that would bother me if the if the scripts were right. Yeah. And that is what Cynthia did, too. Like, there was so much homage to, like, Barbara Valgetti's, like, Miss Ellie and Jock. Like, it was done so well. And, you know, the way that, like, you know, Jesse Metcalf and they were all just so well integrated right. and they kind of got it. Like, I don't know what they did. I don't know if they sat there and watched the original start to finish, but they were. It was great casting and it was very dear to the original they I, did I, I watch thought. it uh, when when we all got together the first time you know to to read in warner brothers again here we are you know with uh, brenda strong you know and everybody was you know around the table um one of the conversations was first of all cynthia watched about 150 episodes you know to get the idea uh, wow. but the, the younger cast pretty much didn't know who we were until they were able to look at the, the, the show. You know, some people knew who I was because Jesse and, and Josh were of the age that would have been aware of step-by-step, step, you know, but uh, no, they had to figure out who we were as cast members, you know, as Jr. and Bobby and Sue Ellen, but they did get it and they got their respective um, roles in terms of who they were vis-a-vis Hagman and myself, you know, Josh had to be Hagman's son. He had to be John Ross Jr. Jesse had to be the adopted son of Bobby, you know, and 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 inherit their respective responsibilities as cast members and for storylines. And they did. They got it. They got it very well, as, yeah. as did the girls on the show. They, you know, Julie Gonzalo, you know, uh, it, it, amazing, wonderful, you know, just fit right in. Yeah, it was great. Do you think if there was, I mean, I imagine she was not in the conversations for the TNT reboot, but do you think ever if there was a reboot of any sort, like maybe Victoria Principal now would, I mean, she's a very great businesswoman, but there's been a business for a really long time. Well, that's, that's an interesting question. Cause I think probably now she would be more approachable for it is certainly. And, you know, and she didn't, we sort of killed her, but we didn't really kill her you know, on Dallas. So she kind of could be alive. So, you know, it, the right writer could figure out something about it, you know, and, and again, it would be such a different relationship. The the Bobby Pam relationship would be unique, you know, do they relive their past things? You know, he, he lost her. He fell in love with April, you know, he lost April. Um, you know, then there was Barbara, uh, Brenda Strong, you know, playing Anne. So, you know, there's all kinds of dynamics to, that would make, I think, a good writer extremely happy to tackle that kind of relationship. So, again, never say never. And we might as well just throw some Priscilla Presley in there, too. Just add a little Jenna Wade. I mean, once, I mean, you know, why You can not? throw as many beautiful women my direction that you want to. And I think it's a good idea. Do you think, has there ever been talk of rebooting step-by-step? Like, do you and Suzanne, when you're over at her house, like you say, in you know, in Palm Springs, does that ever come up? Yes. Uh, the short answer is yes. Uh, the short answer is yes, it comes up when I'm talking to Christine Lakin. Or when I talk to, not so much Stacy. Um, you know, she left the acting job. Stacy is now a district attorney in Los yeah. Angeles. 
you know, a brilliant lawyer. Um, I don't know if she wants to, you know, put on the the acting hat again, but maybe could come in and do a, a, a thing just so we know where that character is. But we've talked about it. It poses a, 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 its own set of problems, you know, script wise. And my, my point always when it, it's been brought up is why, you know, do we do it just because somebody might watch it, you know, because they watch the original step-by-step -step? what's, what is the pilot of the new show? Why do these people, first of all, you, you know that all the children have to have left the house. You know, uh, you know, all of them are of age now where they should have their own children and et cetera. So, so what brings everybody back to the fold for some reason? You know, is it just Suzanne and myself in a senior assisted living situation where they come, I mean, you know, it has to be. And then there's why do they come back? Not just where they come. But why do they come back? Uh, you know, what decision is made? So there's a lot of things other than the fact I would do it in a heartbeat just to work with Suzanne again. Absolutely. Uh, would, but, you know, you have to have the right product. It has to be on the page. Do you think Suzanne would do it too? She better. <laughs> you know, if she wants her second husband to be happy, she better do it. I'm just going to put that out into the universe. <laughs> Someone yeah. out there has got to come up with a good premise and like yeah, maybe, yeah. you know, a health scare for somebody and everyone flocks home and then they realize you all miss each other and you want to spend more time and somehow everyone moves back in together. It sounds like you're writing a script. So good luck. I'm just going to put it out there. Are you guys, I I was at the 40th anniversary for Dallas at South Fork. Oh. Are you guys planning anything for the 45th? I've not heard anything for the 45th. I, I haven't even heard a rumor of something going on. Um, so I don't know. I, I, it, literally, that's the honest answer. I have no idea. Um, I am gainfully employed and very busy. Um, Linda and I are starting on Bold and Beautiful again. So that's going to take most of our time. Um, so I don't know. I, I really don't. What's it like to work? You know, you like you said, you guys are you and Linda a product of COVID. I mean, this is a COVID love story. Yes, it is. Um, like, what is it like to also work together now on Bold and Beautiful? Now well, that it's, you guys are going to be back on it. When I ended up on her driveway, you know, never having been with her, basically, you know, literally getting to know each other from, you know, what was it? Almost 2000 miles away over Zoom every night for two to three hours for two months. You know, we got to know each other so deeply and so well, but we'd never, I'd never held her hand. I'd, I'd never kissed her cheek. I'd never done anything. And from that, jumping in my car and driving 23 hours, pulling into her driveway, and it's like, uh, here we are. Uh, 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 and uh, we've never been apart since that day. Um, which is one side of our relationship. The other side is, you know, we thought well, we're both working actors. We'll, you know, do this, do that. But once everybody realized we were a couple, it planted things in their minds. So first thing happened was um, um, Lifetime said, you want to do a movie together? We went, sure. And as soon as we said, sure, then we thought, what if we don't work well together? We love each other, but what if our work styles are so different that I go, oh God, I can't work with this woman. But we ended up, I'm infatuated with her talent. Uh, I, again, I told you I learned from Belinda, from Larry, from Suzanne. I'm learning from Linda Pearl now. 
the the level of her artistry as an actress is is not something I've encountered to that extent. And I I understand that I am you know there is a patina of my affection for her that clouds my opinion, but not my understanding of what good acting is, uh, and the fact that we work exactly the same way. We work hard. We don't take our work home with us. You know, the script stays on the set in in concept. You know, you study your lines, of course, you do all of that. But home is home. Work is work. We love being together. It's it's a dream come true to live together, to go to work together and to go home together. So the movie of the week was our our, our testing ground. Then we did another movie of the week together. Then we did a seven month tour of a play in in the UK together, you know, 157 performances, you know, a different theater every week, driving ourselves around the UK, finding a new place to live, uh, you know, learning where the grocery store was, doing eight shows a week it was the best seven months ever. So it's a dream come true to, to now be, you know, then I, they wanted my character to come back on Bold and Beautiful. And I just, in a conversation with Brad Bell, who's the producer, I said, I would love to come back. What about, you know, coming back as a couple somehow? And he thought, that's a great idea. So he wrote us in and we did two episodes just as a test and they loved it. And uh, now he's got a, a plot line for us to come back and be regulars on the show for a while. So see your personal relationship has helped and not that your career needs any help, but it's like getting you guys it work. Is. It is. And, and, you know, and it pays off, you know, it's not like, Oh, we're doing, we're doing Patrick and Linda, you know, they write characters that are different, you know, that, that we have to be actors. We can't just go in like celebrities. So um, it's, it's, it's great fun. I don't even know what the, the plot is for us. I don't know if she's a good person or a bad person in the show, you know, so it, that's it's exciting. The show wants. So, yeah. It's very exciting. And the bold and beautiful is still going strong, which like a lot of soap operas have seen better days. So, I mean, that is still just the right. fan base and it's still going. Strong. It's the number one show in Europe. Uh, it's so famous in Europe. In, in Italy, that cast can't go anywhere without basically armed guards. They're so uh, famous. Yeah, it's just remarkable. What about, you know, it's going well, you guys are working together. Is there an engagement? Do you want to get married again? That, she, that, she, that she, she was here up. today in your in your hotel room. So, I mean, we live together. You know, we are a committed couple. Um, the conversation has come up a few times, uh, not as a serious option yet. Um, you know, we have, uh, I would say, differing um, points of view about, you know, getting married. Um, I am not. I think our relationship is fine, uh, you know. I, I view my relationship with Linda as permanent, uh, as a, a sacred territory in terms of a relationship. And I don't see the need after I was married for 46 years. Um, and it's not that I don't want to get married because of that, but I don't see the need to get married to try and do that. I, I, I think what we have is what a married couple has. And uh, so, uh, you know, I'm perfectly satisfied with things the way they are now. And, uh, you know, as a couple, we are extremely happy together. It has never been a bone of contention between us. 
you know, and I would let her answer in her own way if she were sitting here. But I must say, you know, that is a question that people raise, you know, and every once in a while, somebody will say, when are you two getting married? And I just go, oh, no, we don't need to have this discussion now, you know, and I think it's a different time in history, you know, and, and again, I, I don't bring it up, but people bring up, you know, who understand saying, oh, yeah, well, Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell have been together for, you know, 40 years. You know, they didn't get married, but they're obviously, you know, a married couple. So, you know, it, it, I think it's just different now where, it, you know, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. Yeah. You know, then. And when they bring it up, does Linda say, yes, let's go get well, married right, right now? Well, yeah, I think she she would be more prone to want to, to to be married. Yeah, to be quite honest. Yeah. But I agree. It's a different time. And Goldie and Kurt have been doing it for quite a while. Exactly. Exactly. As we wrap up, like what advice would you give your younger self just starting out, getting that first part, the first day you playing Bobby, all your other early, you know, when you look back, like what advice would you give to yourself? That's interesting. Um, well, because in, in in two instances, I think this would be good advice for me is don't take yourself quite so seriously, quite so seriously. Um, I don't disparage people who want to be great actors. Um, as a matter of fact, it's a driving force that I think is potentially very valuable but it also is potentially very disruptive um, when it supersedes civility, um, when it supersedes um, understanding the plight, if I want to use that word, it's a bit grand, but of everybody else involved in your project, literally from crew members, you know, camera people, lighting people, prop people, fellow actors, everything. You are part of that group. You are not they are not there strictly for you. You're there for them as well. Um, and it's a lesson I think a lot of people have to learn. Um, and I could have learned it, I'm sure, earlier than than I did. Um, but again, like I said, I had I had great teachers. You know, Belinda was that kind of person. <clears throat> she was, you know, the crew's favorite person. Uh, Larry, crew's favorite person. You know, as huge as his star was for the entire run of Dallas, you wouldn't know it on the set. You, you wouldn't even know that that he was the leader in terms of just star power among the rest of us. We, he was just one of the gang. Um, so that's the lesson that, you know, you can, you can't learn it too soon. Let's put it that way, you know, and it will, it will, it will feed your future, uh, you know, as long as you want your future to go. That's good advice. And I've had other people on from Dallas, like Audrey Landers. I just had Christopher Atkins. They all say the same thing about Larry, that like Christopher Atkins told the story, like the first day, Larry Hagman, he walks up to me and he wants to carry my clothes. And he's like, you're Larry, like just that yeah. salt of the earth, like down to earth, treated everybody like an equal. That's who he was. And, and again, a, a, a great teacher. You know, if you're observing, you know, Chris did, he got it, you know. You know, another actor might have said, yeah, and if you don't mind, grab my suitcase, too. And uh, I'm in room 12, you know, but whatever. But no, if you understand it and you see it, it's an invaluable lesson. That's really good advice. And for people who are just getting into the business, it's great advice, too. Well, you know what? It's good advice for anybody in daily life. 
You yeah. Know, if you work in a bank, you know, look around. Everybody in that bank, from the guard at the door, you know, you know, they're they're people that have lives and stories and wants and pains and all of that. Just be aware of it. It'll change the way you act. I love it. Well, I'm excited for the bold and the beautiful. I'm excited for both of your returns. It's still such a great show. And this is my job. I would have to do this or I would be doing this regardless. But, you know, I personally think Dallas is the best TV show that's ever existed in the history of television. So this was personal. So I appreciate, I mean, the writing, the writing and the stories that were told will never get that again, I think on TV. No, it'll never be. There's nothing like that anymore. Yeah. And and what a a thrill to have been a part of that piece of TV history. Yeah. That's what it is. So I really appreciate your time. You can come back and promote things whenever you want. You and Linda can come back together next time. This was wonderful. And I really appreciate it. Okay. Well, I'm going to promote Duffy's Dough. There you go. That that was it. Tell us more about that. You can promote anything you want before we go. Oh, no. Is it that Linda and I developed this company called Duffy's Dough, D-U-F-F-Y, D-O-U-G-H dot com. You can go on. It's a it's a sourdough that my parents got in Alaska in 1952, and I've had it ever since. And we decided rather than just bake for ourselves, which I've done for 35 years, um, we started a business and people can buy it. It comes with a whole kit and, a you know, personalized stuff, stories of my life and, you know, recipes and how to do everything and it comes in a little kit and you can go online and look up duffy's dough and you know do what you want to do so that's my only promotion i see you guys are live together dating work together on bold and beautiful and now duffy's dough you actually have a business so now you're really in together we're we're basically yeah you know and i miss her already she's only been gone for like 20 minutes i was gonna say and i will share the link for duffy's dough so everyone could check it out so thank you so much This was great. And keep in touch. You know what? The law's loss was our gain. You're way too kind. You're way too kind. (laughs) No, I'm not. So thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Anytime I'm here. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear... Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're Behind The Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon. Because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind The Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.